Hey everybody, this is Jim from faithtestedbyfire.com, and you are listening to the Faith Tested by Fire podcast. All right, welcome back everyone. It's great to be back here. It's been a while since the last podcast recording, and I was thinking over the past few weeks how much I really wanted to clear out the schedule and to be able to sit down and share some thoughts with you. And since my last recording, I have to say that the listening audience has almost doubled. So that's a blessing. It's a blessing to me knowing that those of you who listen are getting a lot out of this podcast. And it's a blessing for you, I'm sure, to be able to get maybe some insights that you're not getting. I know that everybody has their individual gift mix that they have, and each of us has the ability to bless the people around us. And so I want to use the gifts that God has given me to reach out to you and give you some encouragement, maybe give you some things to think about. And hopefully the Lord speaks through me to be able to encourage you and lift you up and maybe even give you some guidance. But I was thinking about all of the things that have been going on. Wow, it has been some decade, the 2020s, not exactly off to a bang from 2020 all the way down to now we're in our third year of the new decade, 2022. I often wondered why years started with a zero, who decided that instead of a one. In other words, instead of starting the 2020s with 2020, you would start it with 2021 and then go on from there. But for whatever reason, this is the third year of the 2020s. And I was reading in the Gospel of Luke chapter 21. I'm going to share some thoughts with you there, and I'm also going to take a look into Matthew chapter 24, those two sections. And I know that when things happen like they have been happening in the world, a lot of times the discussion comes back up again. Are we in the end times? How close are we to the end? And I remember hearing years ago back in the 80s when the preachers of that time were talking about the preachers of their youth when they were in the midst of the Second World War, and basically the church at that time, uh, the believers of the time believed that this was very well the end of the end times, and they believed that Hitler was the Antichrist. And, and since that time, we've had all different types of interpretations of what the book of Revelation is actually saying, what the signs and the symbols mean, past fulfillment versus future fulfillment. And you can get into that uh, up to neck deep. <laughs> you can almost drown in that information. And I don't really take a position with 100% certainty if I'm in fact not 100% certain. And this is one of the things that I know that in the business world, People often take a position of certainty and they claim that it's a position of certainty because that's what's expected of them. It happens a lot in the medical field where, or in science where they say they're certain when they're actually not certain. And in some, some ways, I think that human psychology has something to do with it because no one goes to an expert and wants to receive an uncertain response to whatever question that they have. That is the reason why we ask people or we look to people or we lean on others who are supposed to have expertise. And as we've seen throughout this entire 
uh, COVID-19 coronavirus situation over the past uh, few years now, that what may be certain in January may no longer be certain in March. And what may be certain in March may no longer be certain in July, and so on and so forth. And so you get to the point where you just wish that people would just be honest and say, we don't know. This is what we think. But very few people will do that. People will just say, this is the way it is. This is what the science says. And this is what you have to do. And there's very little accountability also that goes with having made a wrong diagnosis or a wrong choice or given someone the wrong information. There's very little accountability in the, in the big scheme of things. So when we look at what the Bible says about those who teach in error, the exact opposite is true. There is significant accountability. Matter of fact, the Bible says that not many among you ought to be teachers knowing that we shall receive the stricter judgment. And so it's one thing to say something in ignorance, not knowing and believing it's true, but it's quite another to proclaim yourself a teacher sent by the Lord, speaking for God, and give information that's not true. Those people will be judged much by a much stricter measure. And so when I look at the book of Revelation, I have to be honest with you that I realize that some of my opinions may be wrong, but I also try and use just, <laughs> I know common sense and, and God's wisdom are at the very least miles apart in a lot of cases, but I do try and use a little two plus two equals four whenever possible to draw some, some conclusions. This thing I know, those of us who believe, as soon as we're absent from this body, we're going to be present with the Lord. Where that happens in a half a microsecond or three milliseconds or three actual seconds, it really doesn't matter to me. Whether we go through a tunnel and there's a light at the other end or we just suddenly appear there, whether we appear on the outskirts of heaven or right in the midst of it, again, I don't care about any of those things. Those aren't important. What is important is that I know, as you should, when you die, Jesus said to the Pharisees that if you don't, you don't believe, you'll die in your sins. And so as a believer, I know that Jesus took all of the sins that I ever have committed or that I ever will commit, past, present, and future. He paid the price for them. He took my unrighteousness upon him at the cross, and there was a great exchange that happened. He gave me, he took my unholiness and gave me his holiness. He took my unrighteousness in exchange for his righteousness. And so on, all the way down the line. And so now I'm a new creation in Christ. The Bible says, old things have passed away, all things have passed, all old things have passed away, and all things have become new. Now that's not true in the, in the flesh. You're the same person you were before. You look the same, probably look older than you when you first believed. But on the inside, your spirit, the real you, your spirit, your soul, not this shell, not this earth suit that you're walking around with, but the real you is eternal. And the moment you leave this earth, you will be in the presence of the Lord forever. And so that's all good news. I look at all of that and I can be certain in that. Okay. So, but when we move on to some of these other things, let's actually look at, at this right now. Luke chapter 21, starting in the first verse is when Jesus is talking about the rich men casting their gifts into the treasury in the temple versus the poor woman casting in her two little mites and him telling them that she gave out of her need, out of her poverty she gave, 
they gave out of their abundance. And so in the, in the sight of God, she gave more. And this is true no matter what you're giving, because maybe some of you don't have the gifts that you wish you would have had. Uh, you know, I know we can always look at what we don't have and magnify that. We can always look at our weaknesses and compare those to someone else's strengths. We could always wish that we wrote better or we could explain things better or that we were better communicators or, or, or whatever. It's just an unending string of things that we wish that we could be better at or have more of. But God is not judging us based on what we have or what we don't have. He's ju judging us based on the heart. So if we have very little and we're giving very little <laughs> from, our, from our little portion, whether it be a talent that we have, uh, whether it be our ability to give people hope, maybe you can inspire people on a high level, or maybe you can just give them a little flicker of hope. But we give according to our ability to give. And so that's what God is judging us by. He's not judging us by, he's not comparing us with someone else. And we do that a lot of times. I'm sure you've known people that have given, or known of people, I should say, that give millions of dollars and they have orphanages built in their names and they provide food for the hungry or maybe they've led tens of thousands of people in giant crusades uh, to the Lord, to Jesus. And then you think, well, I remember I talked to somebody that I work with once and kind of sort of shared a little bit with them. And then you look at what you have and think, wow, I'm just really not. And you compare yourself. And that's really not a fair comparison. I believe that those of you, whatever your interests were, God gave you those interests so that he could put you in a situation, <clears throat> excuse me, where he could use you according to his will. I think about Cornelius and how God used him as his messenger with Saul of Tarsus. Think about that. Now, maybe Cornelius is receiving the same rewards as Paul did because that was the mission that God had for him to accomplish. It seemed very small, sharing the gospel with Saul or leading or praying with him or laying hands on him and receiving the Holy Spirit, I should say, because Jesus did reveal himself to him, who he was, um, when the light shone from heaven and he fell from his horse. You remember that story. Uh, if not, you can read about it in the book of Acts. But then he had to go and hear from Cornelius. Remember Cornelius had the dream? Anyway, I don't want to get too far into that. The point is, is that some people do seemingly insignificant or minor things or very few things as far as volume or number go, numbers go. And then you think, oh, when I get to heaven, my rewards will probably be like minimal at best. But you don't realize that there is not one insignificant person in heaven. There's not one insignificant believer in God's eyes. Matter of fact, it says that he notices even the sparrow that falls. Even that he notices, which means that it matters to him. It's important to God. Every living thing has importance in God's eyes. And so we measure value, we measure worth on a completely different scale. So I, I say all that because when we look at the widow, we just look at the might that she put in. But we don't, and the fact that she gave from what little she had. We don't look at other things other than money sometimes because all of the things are true when you give out of whatever you have. So, okay, all that to say, the fifth verse, 
It says, and some spake of the temple, how it was adorned with goodly stones and gifts. By the way, I'm in the King James right now. Sorry, it just happens to be the one that I'm open to. Uh, as for these things, uh, which you behold, the days will come in which there shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And they asked him, saying, Master, but when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign that these things shall come to pass? So right there, they're asking him specifically about the end of the temple as they know it. And the end of the temple as they know it would be basically the end of Israel, the end of Jerusalem, I should say, and the end of Israel as they know it, because that was just such a centerpiece of their society. So, and he said, verse 21, Take heed that you be not deceived, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ. And he's talking about in their time right now, because he's directly answering the question, but master, when shall these things be, uh, and when shall these things come to pass? Meaning that there won't be one stone left upon another. So you know what happened in um, approximately 70 AD when all of this literally came to pass? And But historically we know that. But he said in verse 8, Take heed and be not deceived. Many shall come in my name saying that I am the Christ. Now the, the great, the famous historian Josephus said that many did come after Jesus saying that they were the Christ, that God had sent them. It's a historical fact. And, okay, now it goes on a little bit further. And the time draws near, uh, so go you not after them. So he's literally giving the people who were alive at the time advice about what not to do. Okay, let's keep, let's keep going with this. Verse number 9. But when ye shall hear of wars and commotions, be not terrified, for these things must first come to pass, but the end is not by and by. So let me move over to an easier, let's move over to the American King James here. Okay, this is words it the same way. So it's a little bit hard to understand if you're not familiar with Old English, but the end is not yet, is not by and by. So all of this has to do with the people who were alive at the time listening to him speak there in real time. They're going to hear of wars. They're going to hear of uh, commotions, but don't be terrified yet. Now listen to what he says here. Then he said to them, nation shall rise up against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and great earthquakes shall be in divers places, famines and pestilences and fearful sights and great signs shall there be from heaven. But, verse 12, before all these. So what was he doing in verses 10 and 11? You should really read this for yourself. So let me just, let me bracket this for you. Um, Jesus tells of the uh, destruction of the temple starting in Luke 21, 5. And he finishes that dialogue in verse number nine relative to the people that are actually physically there listening to him. But he launches into prophecy. He begins to prophesy. Then he said to them, nation shall rise up against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and great earthquakes shall be in divers places and famines and pestilences. See, divers places is talking about various places, famines and pestilences. And fearful and great signs shall there be from heaven. Now, 
in my mind, that's talking about the future after the temple falls, because he goes right into verse number 12 saying, but before all these, they shall lay hands on you and persecute you and deliver you up into the synagogues and into the prisons, uh, being brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake, and it shall turn to you for a testimony. Therefore, do not settle it in your settle it not in your hearts or uh, not to meditate on what you shall answer before. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom, and your adversary shall not be able to gainsay nor resist. That's pretty good. Think about that. What if God told you that you're going to appear before the rulers of this age, the rulers of the world, but don't think about what you're going to say. Don't meditate on it beforehand. I think that that's really the natural thing to do is kind of formulate an argument in your mind. I know for myself, especially in the business world, one of the main things that you want to do is find out as much information about the person that you're going to talk to before you talk to them. Find out what their likes and dislikes are. Find out about their history. In other words, study them as much as possible, especially if you want to sell them something. (laughs) Uh, But here, Jesus is saying, don't do any of that. Why? Because the Holy Spirit in them at the time is going to give them the words that they should say. So it's not going to come from their intellect. It's going to come from their heart. It's going to come from the Spirit. And verse 16 And you shall be betrayed by both parents and brothers and kinfolks and friends, and some of you shall they cause to be put to death, and you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. Now, historically, did this happen to them? Absolutely, happened to all of them. But there shall not a uh, an hair of your head perish. In your patience, possess your souls. <clears throat> so Jesus is talking about perseverance and the fact that just as um, on the Mount of Transfiguration, God spoke to Jesus and uh, James, John, and Peter saw Moses and Elijah appear. Remember the Bible says that God is not a God of the dead, but the God of the living And remember, Jesus said that if you believe in me, you shall never die. So every believer to be absent from the body is present from the Lord. These people are not dead. The only thing that perished is the biological suit that they wore during this lifetime. But the individual, their memories, everything about them, that person is still alive. And obviously the spirit resembles the body, same shape, same same basic form, except probably without all of the lumps and the bumps and <laughs> and whatever. But um the uh because they recognized him. They recognized who they were. But okay, let's go back to Luke chapter twenty one, verse twenty. And when you shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is near. And then let them which are in Judea flee through the mountains. Now, there are shows on TV that you can watch that actually reenact this. They have little drawings or animations, excuse me, based on animations, based on history and the writings of the time, the diaries of people that were there. And I'm sure they're somewhat close. They probably don't really depict the horror of the time. But uh, I think over 2 million people literally fell in in a 24-hour period if I remember reading correctly. Um, And now what does it say? Verse 21 again, let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains and let them which are in the middle of it depart out of it. And let not them that are in countries, in the countries enter there unto. In other words, get out of here. Get out. Don't come in. Don't assume that things are going to go back to normal again. And it says in verse 22, 
For these be the days of vengeance, that all things which are written shall be fulfilled. Very interesting there. Let me read that again. For these are the days of vengeance. What is the vengeance? Well, the rejection of the Messiah, really, I guess is what it comes down to. The crucifixion of the Messiah, the avenging of that act is the judgment which fell upon these people. And all things which are written shall be fulfilled. And it says in verse 23, but woe to them that are with child and to them that give suck, those with infants in those days, for there shall be great distress in the land and wrath on this people. Why? Because these are the days of vengeance and they shall fall by the sword. Verse 24, <clears throat> they shall fall by the edge of the sword and they shall be led away captive into all nations. Now, historically, did all of that happen? Yes, all of that happened. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And we know that happened also historically. Jerusalem was not under Jewish control until our, some of our lifetimes. We were born in the mid-1960s. I was born in 1965. There's plenty of people around who were born before then, and they actually remember it. But um, after World War II, of course, Israel again becoming a nation. And most recently, I think it was Donald Trump that proclaimed that they were going to recognize Jerusalem as the capital, again, of Israel. And they put, and we, I believe we built our embassy there. So uh, Jerusalem is no longer under Gentile control. Jerusalem, which is a city in Israel, all of Israel is, is not controlled by Gentiles anymore. And you can go through history and look what happened from AD 70 all the way forward. And this is all well-documented historical fact. All right, now, in verse 24, the thought that he finishes with is until the, time, uh, until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. So we know that, um, I think they recaptured Jerusalem in 1967. I think that's when the Six-Day War is. I may have to look that back up again. I'm not certain about that. But was it the Six-Day War? Hold on, let me check. All right, here we go. June 5th, 1967 to uh, June 10th, five days. I don't know why I thought it was six days. Maybe it kind of bled over into the sixth day. I don't know. But um, June 5th, 1967, I just, okay, six-day war. Here we go. Yeah, six-day war. June 5th to June 10th. I guess officially over on the sixth day after that, 1967. So if you... Again, go back and listen to some documentaries on the topic and hear about the miraculous things the angels were actually witnessed by not just Jewish soldiers, but also by the enemy. And I remember um, listening to a documentary where they interviewed both sides and both sides said, yes, there were angelic beings that were present on the battlefield and they revealed themselves to them. In other words, they appeared as humans, but then they shifted into their natural form how bombs fell that never exploded, and just all kinds of things that happened. So I know that natural history, secular history, of course, is just going to record it as the United States helped, and that's what basically did it. But there was more than just fighting on the natural front. There, there was fighting on the supernatural front, which there is, believe it or not, every day. You just don't see it. So, and so verse 25 then is talking about what's happening after 1967. So that really puts... Luke twenty one twenty four into a 
uh, contemporary perspective. Luke 21, 25 says, And there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and on the earth, the stress of nations with perplexity. Right? What is perplexity? Confusion. The sea and the waves roaring. This right here to me is the ultimate sign of the end of the end. Because in verse 26, it says, Men's hearts failing them for fear and looking after those things which are coming on the earth for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. And then verse 27, and they shall see the son of man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. So this is the end of the end. So we saw that the timeline that Jesus spoke about, what was going to affect the people alive at that time. Now, if you ask Jesus a question, probably it would also have to do with the time that you're living in, not just the future, because you're not going to be here. <laughs> you're not going to, let's just say the end is 500 years from now, just for the sake of argument. You're not going to be here in 500 years, but you want to know that what catastrophic events are going to be happening here where I live, if any, and what should I do? How can I be prepared? So, Jesus both not only answered in the short term, he also answered in the long term. And that's how I see prophecy throughout the entire Bible. Even the prophecy that you can't quite understand, some prophecy in the Old Testament obviously has a dual fulfillment. It has a fulfillment for the listeners of the time, and it has an application to future generations. And here's the thing. Some people will say, well, doesn't the Bible say that no prophecy is of any private interpretation, but that these men of old were, were moved as the, they spoke as the Spirit of God inspired them to speak? Yes, absolutely. But you don't want to take that out of context also, because I believe all prophecy, right? what does the Bible say? That prophecy is really, the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus, that's what the Bible says in the New Testament. The spirit of prophecy is a testimony of Jesus. Prophecy glorifies God. Jesus glorifies God. God glorifies Jesus. They are one. But we're also one in him. And so the idea here is that a prophetic word is to those who, it's always to those who believe. It's not just to one individual. God is no respecter of persons. So when a prophetic word comes forth, it has an application, time and memorial in some way, shape, or form, to all of his people. So even if you live 2,000 years after the prophecy was initially given, yes, it had application to that time, but it also has application to your time and, and more specifically, your life. So that's how I look at this, well, no scripture is really of private interpretation. In other words, it's to the body. It's to the new man. It's to the new creation. It's, to, it's for God's people. It's not just the world. Because there's plenty of warnings about judgment, but all the inside information comes to God's people. So, uh, all right, let's go on a little bit further from there. Verse 29. He spoke to them a parable, behold, the fig tree and all the trees. Now, when they shoot forth, you see and know your, of your own selves that summer is near at hand. So likewise, when you see these things come to pass, you know that the kingdom of God is near or at hand. So it was near for them in their time. There was actual things that were going to happen. It was near in their time. 
It's also near an hour time because our life is like a, like a vapor. I mean, we're here one day and the next day we're gone. And we're in history. Time goes very quickly for all of us, especially when you get older, you recognize that you have more of a context to put it in. However, in verse number uh, 20, or excuse me, 32 of Luke 21, he says, truly, I say to you, this generation shall not pass till all be fulfilled. Well, if all be fulfilled is just the destruction of Jerusalem, well, then, yes, this generation didn't uh, pass until those things were fulfilled because a generation is what, 40 years? Some people call a generation 40 years. Some say 70 years. Um, some say 100 years, depending on which which scripture they're using to interpret that word generation. So, but it's not more than a hundred years. So if Jesus went to the cross and what we now see around AD 30, AD 33 or somewhere is in there, and all of the natural events here happened in 70 AD, that means they happened approximately 40 years after he said this, within 40 years. So the generation alive at the time, Jesus said in another scripture, there'll be some of you who are standing here who will not taste death until you see this happen. So, you know, some people say that there was an absence of Christian writing from about 70 AD forward, that all the Christian writings had happened before that time. They didn't happen again for 300 years. And some people actually go as far as to say there was a rapture event which occurred. And, uh, you know, is that true or is that not true? Well, if you read the writings of the Apostle Paul, he, he believed that the Lord would come in his lifetime. But I think Christians of every generation have believed that because there's signs that point to outwardly that, yes, the end is near, the end is at hand. So, of course, maybe he just was looking at it as the Lord coming in judgment, that it would happen in his lifetime. Or maybe it was that his life would end and all of this would be wrapped up. We really don't know. I mean, we can make surmisings. And I know that some of these arguments make more sense than others. Some are easier to believe. Some are harder to believe. But, you know, we're human beings. And basically, we're trying to look at the scriptures from the point of our own personal experience, from what we've heard others preach. But a lot of times... People really aren't influenced by, I, I just want to go on a little tangent here. Think about how many times you want to know more about a topic that was in the Bible or more about maybe what God wanted to have for your life. And what's the first thing that we do most of the time? Probably the first thing you did is, well, if you're the type of person that likes to study, you bought a book on the topic to see what someone else had to say about it. Or maybe you went to a pastor and asked them the question, or maybe you asked several pastors the question. And so what I noticed is, and this applies to myself also, although I recognize it now, so that's growth, but one of the things I recognized is that we often go to other men for help, for guidance. And I'm saying that that's bad, but this entire process that God has, this, God's system is that as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Growing in maturity means you're the, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, are your mentors. God is your mentor. 
not somebody else. These other people can encourage your faith. These other people can teach you and help ground, uh, help you be grounded in the truth. And they all have the part. But the actual leading is supposed to come from the Holy Spirit directly to you, not with some inter intermediary in there. Now, somebody may say, well, isn't Jesus the intermediary? But, you know, don't, don't be, um, what's the word I'm looking for, legalistic here. Because we can argue that Jesus and the Holy Spirit and God the Father are really one. They all agree with each other. There's nothing that one's involved with that the other isn't involved with. But when you're in the kingdom of heaven, when you're in the kingdom of God, it's because you, you are forgiven. You are righteous in God's sight. You are holy. Your sins have been washed away by the blood of the cross. And so you have the Holy Spirit in you. The Bible says that you have no need that any man teach you. Why do you think that scripture is there? Because... Everything has been designed that you come to maturity. Spiritual growth is a lot like physical growth. We learn new things. We mature, spiritually speaking, the way we mature physically, the way we mature intellectually. Because the more exposure we have to any topic, the more exposure we have to any, anything, the more that thing influences us. So the more exposure we have directly to the Father, to Jesus, to the Holy Spirit, the more we become like them. <coughs> Excuse me. And it's not like we're learning about them the way we might learn about someone that's no longer here or present. They are present. Matter of fact, that what did Jesus say? That if anyone do God's will, that he and the Father will come and live with them and abide with them forever? Doesn't it say in the book of Revelation that, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man open, he will come in and he will sup with us. He will eat in fellowship with us. So if we indeed have fellowship with Jesus Christ, the risen Son of God, then how much greater of a mentor do we need? How much greater of a guide can we find? How much more of a source of wisdom do we have access to? In other words, stepping down and asking the same things of men that we can ask of God seems like a second best is a lot further down than first best. And so I know, of course, the reasons for this is because if we ask somebody that we know, we can hear their voice, we can see their face, we can hear examples, and that's usually how we learn, right? That's how we learn how to walk. We watch others do it. We try to do it ourselves. We learn how to talk by watching or listening to others pronounce words, say words, and then we try and pronounce them ourselves. But spiritually speaking, we're, we get to the point where just like... We had fathers and mothers of the flesh. We have spiritual fathers or spiritual mothers that help guide us. But there comes a time when we break away from that and then we go directly to God for ourselves without having that intermediary there. That's the perfect situation. That is the perfect will of God where we have a, a relationship with God for ourselves and we're not relying on someone's book or someone's teaching or what some prophet somewhere said that happened, or what somebody else's opinion is, you can go to God for yourself and ask. Now, if you say the obvious, well, I have asked, but I haven't heard anything. Well, how do you think that you're going to learn to hear God better? Now, I know the shortcut would be you read a book about what happened to somebody else, and then you hope that happens exactly that way for you because you're going to do exactly what that person did, and hopefully you get the same result. I've discovered that 99 out of 100 times that only happens to kind of like brand new believers, not mature ones, because God doesn't want you to put any type of idol worship, so to speak, or man worship um, between he and you. 
So I'm just throwing that out. And there's no condemnation if you do any of this. I've done plenty of this, maybe even more than most people have. It just happened that the day came when I realized that I need to start hearing from God for myself. I need to start learning from the Holy Spirit for myself. And it's not that God can't use other people to help me, but I can't go to those other people first anymore. I have to go directly to God. All right. So I hope you got something from that. Um, this generation is what Jesus was talking about in verse 32. But what if it wasn't that generation that was listening to him at the time? What if it was, as some people say, the fig tree generation? In other words, the generation that will be there when the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. So verse 24, Jesus said, when the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled, um, that Jerusalem will no longer be trodden down by the Gentiles. And today we are at that place where Jerusalem is no longer under control of the Gentiles. Now there's Gentiles in Jerusalem today. There's non-believers there, but there were non-believers there always. That's not really not the point that it's saying here. So, all right. If we look at these, oh, let me let me take a look at, should I go over this or not? Let's see, verse 25. Let me just touch on this one last time. It says, there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and on the earth, distress of nations and all of these physical signs. Now, some people say these are not physical signs. They are just, he's speaking symbolically now. It's not the literal sun. It's not the literal moon and it's not the literal stars. Now, distress of nations, we can take the word nations out and put all people with perplexity, with confusion. I would say that, that there's no really weight that we can translate that symbolically because nations always means people. And perplexity always means confusion. Now, the sea and the waves, maybe that's literal, maybe it's not. If we take it literal and we take the sun, the moon, and the stars and the, uh, literal as signs, then verse 26, where it says men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth, that tells me that those are probably literal signs because if they weren't, men's hearts wouldn't be failing them for fear in verse 26 because the things that we see and the things that we hear, which are fearful, which means the opposite of faith, it's belief in the worst happening. Right? Faith is belief in the best. Fear is belief in the worst. Faith has anticipation of the best. Fear has anticipation of the worst. Some of you right now are in fear over your finances. You know what that's like? I, I do. Anticipating the worst even when you have enough money. I know that's why some people hoard money or they become enslaved to money because can you really have enough well, it depends. I mean, if you're making a million dollars a year and you have a million point two lifestyle, then, you know, you, you fear not having enough money. All right, let's go on um, and look at this in Matthew's gospel. Matthew chapter, I believe a good place to start will probably be first number 24. Let's read about the same thing here. Sometimes when we combine two or more gospels, we get a better picture but in verse 24, it says that he sat on the Mount of Olives and the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when these things shall be. Meaning that one stone will not be upon the other, which is the verse that he said before, verse two. And what shall be the sign of your coming and the end of the world? Now, some people say the world just means age, that it doesn't mean like that it's not talking about 
the entire surface of the earth, but it's talking about their land there. The world can also be translated the land. And some people say that just talking about they only cared about the Jewish land. They didn't care about everything else. Don't know, really. Uh, my opinion on this is that the judgment is going to come upon the whole world, not just Jerusalem. And maybe Jerusalem was a type of, when it was destroyed by fire, of judgment, which will later come upon the Gentiles when their call comes to an end. Because we know that the time of the Gentiles, meaning that the gospel going to the Gentiles, maybe that's connected with the Israelites coming back to Israel again. Let's not get too far off this track, though. Let me let's get back to this. So there's three basic questions here. When shall these things be? In other words, number one, when shall the temple be destroyed? And what shall be the sign of your coming and of the end of the world? So Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name saying, I am the Christ and shall deceive many. We know that happened in that time before 70 AD. And we know it's happening even today. It's happened through all times. How many people say that they are basically the Messiah? Maybe they don't use that word, but they use what the word means. You know, they're sent by God. They are, they bring deliverance. They bring hope. They bring healing to the nations and they're just cults. And it says that they shall deceive many. And so we can look at uh, belief systems that have a large number of people and look at who started those belief systems and did they basically say they were the way, they, they knew the truth, and they were the light? Yeah, that's what they did. And they were false. Okay, verse 6. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. Now, we're hearing of that right now. There's talk of World War Three. Do you think it will happen? No. But I'm not. My salvation is depending on understanding if this is the wars and rumors of wars of this time or of a previous time. But <laughs> I know this, no matter what age that you lived in, there have been wars and rumors of wars. More on that in just a minute. It says, see that you be not troubled for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nations shall rise up against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famine and pestilences and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. And so historically speaking, we could apply World War I to that. We could apply World War II to that. Um, but it says, all these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you. And you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. So either he jumped forward and then jumped back, or he was talking about things that were happening in their lifetime, right? Because the original 12, they became the, well, except for one Judas, but they went out and they became the apostles. Another was chosen to take Judas Iscariot's place. They drew lots in the book of Acts. But here, verse number nine of Matthew 24 makes it sound like it says then, meaning after all these things that I just said, wars, rumors of wars, famines, pestilences, then these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they shall deliver you up to be afflicted. So if he was speaking to the actual people that were there in real time, there's no reason to think he wasn't. Did he kind of flow into prophecy suddenly and start talking about the future? I don't know. Could it be possible? I guess it could be possible. Is it probable? I don't even really want to answer that for you. You, let, you know, you decide. But I look at this and I say that, and I think that they asked him three questions. 
And the questions were, tell us when these things shall be, what shall, shall be the sign of your coming and of the end of the world. So they didn't anticipate, according to this, that the temple being thrown down being the end of the world because they asked three different questions. When shall these things be? Meaning that he just said the verse before, there shall not be one stone left upon another. And they came to him privately saying, when shall these things be? Next is what is the sign of your coming and the end of the world. So they understood that there was going to be a new heaven and a new earth, I believe. So I know they didn't understand a lot of things. And Jesus said before he was taken up, you have a lot of, uh, there's a lot of things that I can tell you, but you can't bear them now. But when the Holy Spirit has come, he will lead you into all the truth. That's why I think the letters are so important. A lot of times people like to read what's in red. You know, when Jesus speaks, I'm one of them. I love to read the actual quote words of Jesus. But you have to have enough faith to believe that God, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, the word of God is speaking by the Holy Spirit through people that he chose. And that's where we get the scriptures from. He's still doing it today. I'm not saying that these are, should be new scriptures, but I'm saying that, you know, people will speak inspired by God and tell you something. And it should line up with what's already written in the Bible or it should be lined up with the inward witness that you have because you have the Holy Spirit in you. All right, let's keep on going. So it says, um, these are the beginning of sorrows. They shall deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you. And you shall be hated of all nations for uh, my name's sake. And it says, then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets shall arrive and arise and deceive many. We see all of this happening. And we've seen it happen consistently. Is it happening more so now? Yes. And it says, because iniquity shall abound, in verse 12, Matthew 24, the love of many shall wax cold. Then in verse 13, but he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness to all nations, and then shall the end come. So right there, one of the things that I've heard since I first believed all of my life has been that the gospel has to be preached to all nations. Now, has that already happened? I think from what I understand, it depends who you ask. Some people say, yes, the gospel has been preached to all nations. Some say no. Now, I believe that everyone will be judged fairly. I don't believe there's such a thing as somebody living in the deepest outreaches of the jungle who God will not even if it takes some type of supernatural effort to do it reach that person so no one's going to get a raw deal when it comes to salvation God knows how to get the job done some people would argue that today with the online world the gospel has reached everyone but does that mean that every single person alive at the time will have to have heard the gospel at the same time in other words that Right now, this is March the 15th, 2022, and every living human person on the earth has heard the gospel. Is it that kind of situation where it means it has to be preached in all the world for a witness to all nations or all people, and then the end shall come? So because that people take the other stance, which says, well, these people that don't hear the gospel, they're lost. And I believe that God has a plan to make sure that everyone, even if it takes a supernatural appearing to someone in a dream on their deathbed and giving that person a chance to believe 
Now you may say, well, I don't, I don't, where, what do you base that belief on? I'm just trying to use the supernatural, figuring the supernatural ability of God the same way people are figuring in the natural limitations of uh, human ability to get the gospel preached to all the world or everyone. So however it works, I know that no one gets a raw deal. But the one thing that I keep coming back to again is the fact that men's hearts will be failing them for fear. This is one of the things because of signs that they're seeing in the sun, the moon, the stars up above and the fear of things that are coming upon the earth. I believe that when we see it, we're not going to have an argument over is this that sign or not. It is the one sign I think that we haven't seen yet. Now, here and there, strange things have been happening that people have been seeing. There are signs in the sky that haven't been there, let's say, 100 years ago that people are noticing. If you go on YouTube and you just you're going to have to do a little digging probably, but you'll see just strange things that people are recording. Sounds that don't sound like they're coming from this earth. Now, we can argue whether these things are real or not, but I think the truth is is that when these signs become so obvious in the sun, moon and stars, literally out up in the sky that we can't ignore them anymore that we can't pretend that they're not there they're going to be fearsome sights now whether we're here as believers or not whether we're caught away to be with the lord before those things become visible i don't know but i could say that those things have not been here before that we haven't seen them before now when you read the book of josephus and read about the ad 70 there were fearsome sights that he recorded seeing supernatural over Jerusalem during the war. I believe he was probably one of the few historians that talked about it. But the uh, uh, visions of flaming chariots and a sword appearing over the sky. There have been signs in the skies before. And let me tell you something. When you see a sign in the sky, then that's something that that terrifies people. Matter of fact, anything that's supernatural that does not fit into what the scientific community calls things that are measurable, visible, uh, quantifiable. Anything that doesn't fit into that terrifies people because their their belief system is based on what they can see, feel, you know, on the five physical senses, and not based on anything, not based on anything that's spiritual. So that is the one thing that I think is coming next. That we haven't seen it. When when you see those signs, then you know that even in as far as how human beings measure time, what's soon to you? If someone says they're coming to visit you soon, what does that mean? Probably means that they're not talking about four years from now or even two years from now. They're probably talking, what does soon mean to you? I don't know. I mean, soon to me means maybe this month or by the spring, or something like that. That's the way I interpret soon. Well, God lives outside of time. And to him, um, you know, a thousand years is like a day. <laughs> so a thousand years in our time is like a day to the Lord. But doesn't The Bible doesn't say a thousand years equals a day. It says it's like a day. Is as means is like a day. So, I mean, sometimes to me, it feels like there's 10 months in a year now instead of 12 
meaning that it just goes quickly. Maybe I could say, oh, no, it even feels like there's nine months now. But you, you get what I'm saying. So it's not a literal translation of days, hours, weeks, months. Soon just means it's not going to be a long time. But even Peter, in his writing, said that you know a lot of people are have been saying that nothing has changed, that all these prophecies are false because nothing has changed. Everything is as it as it has always been. And that's when he warns them that a day with the Lord is or a thousand years like is like a a day in heaven. So that's just another another way to look at it. But as far as from our vantage point, being in a physical body, I think that when we see those signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars, then and it's consistent and it's ongoing, what are they gonna say? It has to do with global warming or climate change or something like that, causing anomalies in the atmosphere. You know they're gonna have some type of a reason for it. You know they're gonna immediately put some type of science, quote unquote, pseudoscience behind it and say, yes. This is this. This has nothing to do with Bible prophecy. You know they'll do that, right? Because the the world, those that don't believe the Bible says, are in darkness. So that's one of the things. The other thing is the analogy that Jesus gave of birth pains. And so if, if you're not a woman and you've never been pregnant before, that's one thing I do not, I, I would not want to know what it's like to carry a baby. I'm sure it's special. I'm sure that women, I mean, they think it's wonderful and that's great. But as a guy, that would definitely be something that I wouldn't want to experience. But, excuse me, that being said, let me just add this, is that the contractions come uh, sooner, quicker and quicker, the sooner you get to uh, the delivery time. And so that is the cons- the comparison that Jesus gave. And if I if you think about your life, if you think about what you've experienced, and you think about what happens in the world, what happens is things go wrong. There's a catastrophic event, or something happens like that, and then there is a time of nor what we consider normalcy. And like if a tsunami hits and a whole bunch of people are killed, there's an earthquake and a bunch of people are killed. Um, there's a war and a bunch of people are killed. And then suddenly there's a time when there's no wars, where there's no tsunamis, where there's no earthquakes that are, people are getting killed in and everything returns to somewhat of a normal state and people forget about that. And then what happens? Another wave comes, more earthquakes, more disasters, more wars, whatever, more famines, more pestilences. And according to Jesus, the quote-unquote normal times between the birth pains is going to get shorter and shorter the closer we come to the end. Which means that if we're very close to the end right now, and it's 2022, that means all of the disasters that we've experienced in 2020 and 2021 and all of, uh, all of the problems that have happened, we're going to return to a time of normalcy, maybe in going forward in 2022 or 2023. But the time between the normal and the problems is going to get shorter and shorter and shorter until it gets to the point where people just realize that what's coming on this earth is not good. It's going to be the judgment of God. But when Jesus said, you see these things happen, 
Don't look down, look up because your salvation draws near. And so you and I want to take as many people with us as we can. Think about that. You know, the devil wants to take as many people down with him as he can. Demons, evil spirits, all these creatures that are, are beyond redemption, they want to take as many souls with them as they can down into the judgment. And us, we as believers, we want to take as many people with us uh, to go on to be with the Lord and to get out of this place. And I look at it like, no, you know, it says it will be like it was in the days of Noah. You know, people were marrying and they were giving in marriage and then the end came. But Noah's time was an awful time. I mean, there was so much unrighteousness, so much wickedness on the earth. Do we see this happening today? Is it more so today than it was 20 years ago, than it was 40 years ago, than it was 100 years ago? Is it more so today? I would say yes. I would say that scripture says the love of many, not the love of some, but the love of many will wax cold. Have we seen that happen in our lifetime? Absolutely. I remember just as a, uh, a young boy walking to the store, eight, nine years old with my grandmother, and we had like several blocks to walk to get to the magazine store where I would buy a comic book or she would buy me a comic book. And uh, it was just a nice walk that we would go for. This is in the early 70s. And my grandmother, who was in her 70s at the time, would say hello to several people on our walk. They would know one another and they would stop and talk and we would go there and we would come back and it was just nice. I mean, neighbors knew one another, neighbors look out, looked out for one another. Here where I live in Florida, there's a lot of retired people in their 70s and their 80s. Do they look out for one another? Maybe a little bit. I guess it depends where you go, but not to the level that it used to be. And as far as regular working people, you know, people who are under 65, they don't even talk to one another. They don't even know who their neighbors are. And what's worse than that, they don't want to know who their neighbors are because they don't want the hassle that comes with uh, interacting with people today. I mean, it's, it's a shame that it's like that, but what does it say? It says, because of iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. We see that happening today. Do we see families close today like they were years ago? No, we don't see that. I mean, you know, technically speaking, I guess every um, family has, you know, a problem child or two that happens. But for the most part, people were together. They grew up in the same house. Sometimes they lived in the same house all their lives. They were close today. No, we don't see that. We, we see it happen sometimes, but it's no longer the norm. So are we in the end times? Well, absolutely we're in the end times. I, I know that uh, the, the older I get, I think, well, I'm definitely in the end times because, you know, if the Lord doesn't come within one, I think once you pass 50, you, there's something that realize, especially as a believer, you start to realize that uh, I probably don't have exactly another 50 years <laughs> left. But I mean, that being said, I think that uh, there's a sense of anticipation that, you know, I've lived through this story enough years now, gone through all of these different experiences, and the more experiences that I have as a believer, the more I realize how true the Bible is, how applicable it is, and how this world that we're living in, you can see the warnings the older that you get when it says, uh, you know, love not the things of the world, 
because the person that loves the world doesn't have the love of God in them. You could see that all of these things, because if you have some experience, are just like shiny objects. There's not real life in accumulating things. At all, everything comes down to uh, having the love of God in you and being able to share it and receive it from others. Those are the things that it's our relationships that are the true gold of this lifetime and our ability to help one another. I mean, in best case scenario, each of us becomes the solution for someone else's problem. And we have the satisfaction of not just being able to receive whatever help we need, but to be able to give too. So, all right. I think we're going to wrap it up right about there. That's about all for today. Thanks so much for listening. And uh, this is, again, this is the Faith Tested by Fire podcast. Believe me, each and every one of us will go through the fire. But what the enemy has set for destruction, God will turn for good if you just continue to believe, if you continue to persevere. And uh, listen, if you haven't been to the main website already, I just changed the design on it, faithtestedbyfire.com. Go ahead and check that out. Hopefully, I have a new sign-up form that's available uh, to you. By the time that you get there, I'm going to do that today. So uh, thanks so much for listening. Have a great rest of your week. God bless you, and I'll talk to you soon.